Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. Uh. It's the goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep for you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. Enterprise sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight. Not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie Choose none so we all cross the finish line The work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Gill Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To every track coach could be the blessing Hey, welcome back to the Gill Athletics Track and Field Connections podcast. We're so happy you could be here. You know, our real goal here is to uplift and honor coaches from around the country. Uh, we are kind of on a real hot streak right now. In fact, I think we've been on, I don't know, this is probably episode 190 or so. Uh, we've been on a hot streak about 190 times in a row here. We are just have uh, coaches from all different aspects, division one, high school, NAIA, JUCO, and uh, just can't be more prouder of the men and women who decide to uh, really kind of kind of bear their soul here on the podcast. So I'm just super excited for their authenticity and openness. And today's guest, I have no doubts is going to be exactly the same. So help me welcome the head coach from the University of Oklahoma, the wise, the wonderful, Mr. Tim Langford. Tim, how are you, sir? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a wonderful day here in Norman. Man, every day in Norman's kind of nice, isn't it? I mean, I've been to Norman. It's, it's, it's pretty nice there. Yeah, it just gets a little breezy from time to time, but <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> See, already with the openness and honesty, it's like it is. It gets a little, uh, little open there, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, man, Tim, I'm super excited uh, for today's conversation. I kind of really just want to hop right into it. Sometimes I'm known for my five minute opening intros. We're just going to hop right into it, man. You know, at some point for you, Tim, uh, coaching switched for you. And what I mean by that is uh, for a long time, for a while, it was something that was done to you. You know, a coach would bark out this order, tell you to lift this, go run that. Maybe you played another sport, blah, blah, blah somewhere in your mind, the idea of, oh, wait, I could be a coach. Like that actually could be what I do had to start creeping into your mind. Where does coaching as a profession start for you? You know, I've always had good coaches and mentors in my life. Um, so I always saw it as, as an option. It's like, man, you know, if, take it back to high school, middle school. You know, I had phenomenal high school coaches. I uh, had a high school coach. He was a master sergeant in, in the Army. Um, so he was very militant in his style, leadership style. And But it was, I mean, he showed you love as much as a military man could. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and he, he initially started the thought that, man, I wouldn't mind being like him one day. And... You know, it, it wasn't until that kind of became a reality. Uh, I got into a car accident in college and broke almost everything, cracked all my ribs on this side, 
cracked my spleen, punctured my kidney. So while I was recovering, I actually got a chance to step into that role. Well, yeah. hold on. See, this is what I love. I always learn something new. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, pause right there. Because the first question I thought about when you talked about, and do you remember uh, Coach Jill Sargent's name? <laughs> yeah. Coach Rufus Knight. I was like, Rufus <laughs> Knight. I love that. When you said there was like, this attraction to like, oh, I like what he does. And, and I feel loved and I feel the love because mm -hmm. I always thought, and I've said this before in different like coaching clinics before, you know, most young people are not going to say this out loud, but they crave discipline and structure. They're not going to say that out loud because that's not cool and they would deny it, but right. they like when practice starts at two and two 30 is the end of the warm, you know, they like that kind of thing. That's why I think sports is very attractive to young people because there is a start time and end time. There's responsibilities or expectations. So right. coach Rufus did that for you on a very uh, master sergeant way, man, that had to be something else. What was, <laughs> how did you, and, and maybe you didn't, how did you separate that, what he was doing, the coaching side versus the military life? Cause again, that's another discipline structured. That's why a lot of young people go into the military. It's like, Oh, okay. I'm going to be held accountable. How did you not navigate towards like a, a long military career? You know, I, for me, he he was was very. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, intent on on his guidance, and he never tried to sell us the military. You know, he just tried to sell us what we wanted, and I, and I think that was the difference. You know, uh, the the thing that really made me gravitate towards the the sports side is how do I do this for somebody else? Because I'm in this vein, and he reached me in this way. Now I can repay him by basically duplicating him and being a version of him to carry on what he's trying to do. And I like that. That's what, that's what pushed me, uh, like I said, towards sports and, and not towards military. I mean, what a, there are so many ways to like honor your mentors and family members that, you know, that just give so much to you. There's a lot of ways, you know, there's gifts and there's, um, you know, affection, but is there a better way than like, oh, well, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna go become you then, like, coach, you've been, you've done so much in life, then I'm gonna go do what you do so I can keep your like legacy continue moving. That's right. Oh That's man. Right. So, this accident, uh, tell me more about this. And were you, were you an athlete at the time? Like, did this stop athleticism? I was an athlete at a uh, Radford University. Actually, I keep the picture of the car as my mouse pad cover. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. Or oh, not. yes. Oh, man, you got to get to YouTube and see this. In. Holy cow. What happened? Uh, I was I was a janitor <laughs> for the summer. Um, and we had to be there at 530 in the morning. And a car had run the red light right up the street from my house. T-boned me. Um, like I said, broke everything on, on this side. I spent, I think, about five days in intensive care. They wasn't sure if they were going to have to take out my spleen or, or whatnot. And they they, they decided uh, they were going to let it heal. They didn't remove the spleen, they said. But you have to walk like you're on eggshells for the next six months. So that took me back into school. So it wasn't, wasn't training in the fall. And, you know, while you're healing, you know, I, I went out to the track and, hey, put your foot here. Oh, man, that worked. And you know your, your hips are behind. You know you're doing it. And coaching, coaching, Coach Langford, who uh, was a, instead of Tim Langford, was was kind of born out of that a little bit more. It was like, man, I really could be Coach Knight. You know, and we just kind of went from there. Tim, 
we are, you know, one mile per hour more or one second earlier from not having this conversation, meaning it sounds like you easily could not be here right now, my friend. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Does that add to the weightiness of representing a, like a coach Rufus and, and going on? It's like, man, I, you know, my life could have been snuffed out for no fault of my own, by the way. Uh, do, do you feel like you like, Oh, Oh, it's, it's, it's truly a second chance, you know, and the, I think there's so many people that could that could point to a milestone in their life where, hey, this this could have been it, you know, a, a bad decision where, you know, my life could have been completely different, you know, whether that's, you know, you know, you say outside of a club or, you know, 530 in the morning headed to work or, you know, whatever that looks like. It's like, hey, you know, we left, you know, two seconds early in you know, basically it, it hit the fan and, you know, my life could have changed, you know? So yeah, that, that's one of the things that I'm like, I've got a, I've got a higher purpose. I'm still here for a reason. Yeah. Amen. I, I like that. I have that visual of you once you're back on campus and uh, you know, you're still kind of recovering. So you're still a little ginger and how you're walking and stuff and you go right. to practice. Cause that's what you've known, right? Where else am I going to go? I know I'm not able to run, but I'm going to go to practice. And you started like, Hey, put your foot here, hit placement here. I have that visual of just like, and you kind of like nodding your head, like, Oh yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. Like this, this is my groove. Like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Right. Right. What, what were you in college for career? Like, what did you think before that accident you're running? What were you studying? And what, what did you think? Like, Oh, I'm going to become a PE high school teacher. <laughs> yeah, right. For Coach Rufus. That's right. Yeah. Well, you're you're going to be uh, Coach Rufus without the major general part. That's that's smart. Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, did that change when you kind of fell on your uh, actual passion of coaching track and field? Yeah, it, it changed and, and it was enhanced by just good collegiate coaches that, you know, Coach Knight was was my primary, you know, mentor, motivator, inspiration. Then I had, you know, we started the track program at Radford University. So myself and then uh, Al Barnes, who was the resident director, and he was the one that started the track club. There was a bunch of cross country guys and it was me. <laughs> and I remember we sat down in a, in a restaurant and, you know, we all got on these, you know, Radford uh, uh, wind shirts and, you know, everybody, we're so small. They're like, hey, are, are, what are you, you guys brothers or something? And I'm the only black guy at the table. And everybody look at me like, yep, we're brothers. <laughs> and, but that was, the, that was the beginning of the Radford University program. And, you know, I went and uh, Dr. Douglas Covington, our president, you know, he said, and we're starting a track program and a major assembly. And. I was the only non-distance track athlete at the time, you know, so, you know, we kind of went from there and then I had, you know, other mentors, uh, Barry Shumpert, uh, that, that coached me and, you know, Pat Conley was our coach, uh, at one time, you know, so, uh, Olympian Pat Conley. And so her husband, Hal, you know, got a chance to meet them and, and the more coaches I talked to, the more they seemed like me or what I wanted to be. And like I said, it just reaffirmed that, hey, yeah, I'm headed on the right path. This is what I want to be doing. How did you deal? I, I, I get that again, that visual. You're so good at painting a, a picture here, Tim. When you talk about, you know, the team starting its distance, so they're, you know, predominantly white and, and there's one you uh, not predominantly white. Uh, how did you 
I don't know if I want to say overcome because that, that's an assumption. Was there ever feelings of like, man, I'm on an island. Those guys are doing 10 mile runs and I'm on the track. And if it was, how did you overcome that aspect? Yeah, you know, uh, I can remember my first practice. We practiced at Radford High School. We didn't have a track on campus. Um, you know, Coach Barnes, once he finished with me, you know, and, you know, he used to watch my step, you know, primarily a high jumper, uh, long jumper, triple jumper. Mm -hmm. um, he watched my step. And then at the end of practice, it started raining. And I'm thinking, OK, I'm going to jump in the car and go back to campus with, with, with Coach Barnes. And he said, all right, see you guys at the training room. And this was my first practice. I didn't know the way back. So, and I look at the distance runners and they said, all right, come on, let's go. They took off running and they got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was like, okay, I think I got it from here. <laughs> but, you know, it, it never felt like I was necessarily on an island. It was, I was part of the group that just did something different. Hmm, that's and, cool. You know, like Al never made me feel, you know, outside, you know, he always included me and, you know, I ended up being the first team captain, the first uh, conference champion in school history. You know, so, you know, I took the opportunity to be a leader. And I think that's kind of, he, he, he felt that or saw that in me. And, you know, I, I was allowed to, 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 you know, to grow that side of the program. And it, it just felt like home. I think there's a term for that. I think it's called trailblazer. <laughs> when you are, you're building something that there is no, you're, you're out there with a machete cutting a trail because there is no one before you. You're the one doing it before anybody else. And other people follow you go, okay, this must be the path. Let's, let's move <laughs> forward. Now that takes saying that out loud, that takes a special person, you know, not everybody can be the first uh, to do something and not because they don't have the ability because they don't have the maybe mentality or passion to do that. You know, that when you're up front, well, there's nothing to hide behind all eyes on you for things like that. And other people are better. And thank goodness we have these people at following and building and making something that's already built bigger or better. Uh, where did that kind of mentality come from you that you, you like the, you know, so far we're here and lead from the front, get a path that hasn't, that isn't seen there that I've got to, you know, build because there is no instructions for it. Where does that come from? I don't know if it's only child syndrome or <laughs> what. Mm. It's like, um, no, I, you know, I think in, in my family, they, you know, they instill individuality, leadership, you know, and you're in control of, of what you want to do. You're in control of your destiny, you know, so make it the best that you can possibly make it. And and I think, like I said, it's through the mentor that I've had, you know, especially, like I said, Coach Knight, it, he, he would always say, hey, you can be whatever you want to be. You know, and he always said, hey, attitude determines your altitude, you know, so how you choose to react, respond, how you choose to take situations, that's going to determine your environment. That's going to tell you how far you go. And I, I never let it go. Yeah, it's awesome. There's plenty of people that hear those same type of motivations and they they push it aside. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, there is also leadership down the wrong paths, right? Those are also trailblazers just in the, the wrong direction. And uh, right. so happy to hear that this, so far, the story at least is going towards the positive trailblazing uh, type of path. So how do you take this newfound passion, this, you know, helping the, the other athletes and uh, trying things and going, wow, okay, that kind of worked. Cause you're not a coach, but meaning at that point, meaning you haven't done any kind of formal training, you, you know, nothing like that. You're, you're still an athlete who's now in a different role. How did that continue to grow for you uh, through the rest of the college and, and past? 
Oh, well, it, you know, what usually would, would be a collegiate athlete's path is practice school home, you know, practice. And, and you know, you rinse, <laughs> rinse and repeat, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, a lot of times to use the Radford High School track, we would also coach the team, you know, so we could volunteer coach a few times. And so we, you know, we, uh, I think it was uh, Norm Lindenberg was the coach at the time, you know, and he let me come out and, you know, and sometimes work with the high jumpers, work with some of the jumpers and, you know, we kind of go from there. But uh, the the ultimate goal for me was always to return back to my old high school, you know, and and, and take over and, and or help out as much as I can and, and give back because that was the ultimate goal is, hey, I want to be in the school system. I had all my mentors, you know, playing basketball, you know, so, you know, I always wanted to repay my basketball coach, great basketball coach. I always wanted to repay the track coach, my football coach. And that was the best way I could see myself doing it was through the service of giving back. So, sounds like home is something special for you. It is. It is. And just for the simple fact that home could be filled in so many ways, A, with love, B, with, with people who never got the opportunities that I got that were better than me. And that always bothers me. It's like how many people don't get the opportunities that we're blessed with. And I could go home on every break and see the same people on the same stoop or the same corner and say, Hey, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to do this. If I can, if I can just catch a break, I want to do this. If I could just catch a break. Well, if, if there's no, Rufus Knight to show people a different way. I can remember Coach Knight. He uh, he he had a CDL, so he used to drive the the activity bus to go around and pick up people for track practice over breaks. But then they wouldn't. The, the heat wasn't on, and I was a dummy that showed up in the middle of winter in Lynchburg, Virginia, without a jacket. And he gave me the jacket off his back. He said, "You gonna practice?" But I'm here, you cold, put this on. And I say, after practice, I gave it, but he said, no, nah, keep it. And I'm like, uh, uh, someone who, and he could have done anything else with his life. But to pour into us the way he did, I was like, you know, we got to keep this going. What a great example. You know, sometimes we do things that are, you know, we, we think at the time is pretty innocuous, you know, him giving you his jacket wasn't like this monument for him was not this monumental thing. It was like, Oh, this is what I do. This is one of my athletes. I care for them. Uh, they're cold. I'm fine here. You take the jacket. Right. Uh, but we, we, we forget sometimes the other side of that. And it was monumental for you. And, and you might not have seen it right then and there, but as you gain experience and um, of life, it's like, wow, he didn't have to do that. And that made a big difference for me. Like I was able to practice. I, like I could see like, oh, he loved it because no one else was going to give me a jacket. And, and, but yet he did. Right. What, a, what a great example of uh, servant leadership right there. I mean, that is the, Rufus Knight is, seems like the definition of servant leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where do we go after Radford? Did you get the degree in like physical education and what happened yes. next? Yeah. And went back to my old high. I graduated in December. So um, I was actually, I could have very easily been a police officer. I was getting ready to go into my last interview for Lynchburg Police Department. 
and the school board called me and said, hey, I know you're graduating in December. Take a permanent sub position and I want you to work in the governor's school for the arts uh, at Heritage High School. And that was my job for a semester. And they said next semester we'll open up, uh, we'll make sure that you get a teaching position. Wow, man. Oh. Again, I, I'm always like, I'm personally fascinated with these branches in our lives. Uh, and, you know, so of course this whole Marvel multiverse, you know, uh, thing is, is just fascinating to me. You know, we already discussed about your car accident of how, you know, that could have gone a, a different route instead of right, could have gone left really bad. Here is a place where, you know, looking back now, again, you got the, you know, the rear view mirror, you can see what, what has happened in your life. You you could have been like you would not have been on this podcast, my friend, if you'd have gone on and been a cop. Sorry, I mean you, you know you want to coach track, right? Uh, and I know this is so far the uh, uh, high crown for you is is being on the the podcast here. Yeah. Um, but it's so interesting. You were one phone call away from not happening, from going into which is a, you know, and I'm not downgrading police officer. I mean that's a very noble uh, profession, right. but that's so interesting that one phone call and whoop, here, here you go. Here's the rest of my career. That's right. Do, do you ever think back? Like what if you would have missed that phone call and gone to the, to the Academy or whatever the process there, you ever think about that? All the time, all the time, you know, and, and my dad, uh, he worked private security and was in security pretty much his whole life. Um, so he was like, yeah, you know, it's, that's a good profession. That's a good profession. And, you know, I think you should be a state trooper. And <laughs> I can remember breaking his heart one time. I got selected to the uh, state trooper cadet program uh, that was back in high school. And I turned it down to go to basketball camp. <laughs> and yeah, I, he didn't speak to me for a week. <laughs> He's like, basketball, you're not going to be an NBA. Come on, go to the patrol. Exactly. I'm five foot nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, well, you know, again, you know, law enforcement law, lost out for the second time. And, you know, I, I followed my wife, followed my dream and, you know, and, and took the, uh, the, the position with the school system. Well, as a sport, uh, we're better off for it. I'm, I'm glad that's the way you, I know he was disappointed, but I'm, I'm happy. We're all happier. Uh, oh, yeah. you, you went right instead of left. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm definitely happy. He, he accepted it, you know, especially after the position started paying off. <laughs> Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which we're going to get to that because we we know it does. So talk to us about that sub job and becoming a permanent teacher. And, and now, now, now you are coaching. This isn't you helping because of physical right. limitations. This is, this is you, you're, you're coaching. Right. How did that first season go for you as a full-time, you know, being a teacher, full-time track coach? Oh, it was, it was great. You know, that, uh, so starting in December, they immediately made me a basketball coach. Mm. I coached uh, ninth grade basketball, then got moved up to junior varsity and then became assistant on varsity in one, one season. And we coached our team to the state final four while being an assistant indoor track coach, you know, and then, you know, we, we go on to outdoor track. And then I was, I was still coaching spring basketball while coaching outdoor track. And I only got a semester on the high school level. And I, it's the spring you know, I'm, I'm, I thought I was making decent money and had no time to spend it because I was always at the gym, <laughs> you know, and uh, I got I got a phone call earlier in the week and it was my my coach, Al Barnes. And he he said, hey, I just took the job at High Point University and uh, 
I was wondering if uh, you wanted to come help me out. I said, okay, well, I'll come down and see what you're talking about. And that Thursday, I got another phone call. It was Pat Conley at Radford University. Hey, coach, what you doing? You want a job? It's like, um, God, I have one, but what are you talking about? <laughs> well, uh, I'm looking for an assistant coach. And, you know, I, I thought about you and, you know, everybody said that you were going to be a pretty good coach one day and wanted to know what, what you thought about coming to, coming to help us out. And out of fairness to both of them, I took the one that called me first. <laughs> and I, so I went down to High Point University and um, I asked him, I, I should have asked him earlier, what's the pay? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, that job, so the school system was getting ready to open up the position for me as a teacher. So it was going to be some mid-30s plus all of my coaching stipends. I was geared to coach uh, girls basketball that they were doing in the fall. I was going to be uh, indoor track, uh, outdoor track, um, and men's basketball during the winter and the spring. So the, the stipends were going to be great. And I think it would have put me mid-40s, something like that, which I, I, I would have gladly taken. Um, and I turned that down for the job that was paying $10,000 a year. Yeah. Oh, ouch. I was going backwards. <laughs> but again, yeah. I, I talked to Coach Knight, you know, through everything. That was, that was, you know, one of my main mentors, obviously, through life. And I said, well, Coach, I came back to help you and to, and to you know, to move this forward. And he just looked at me and said, you know, it, it, about the most major pain voice he could come up with, son, you can always come back home. <laughs> did you just reference major pain i love it all, all everybody listening that's in our age bracket is like oh that's hilarious uh all of our younger coaches listening right now are like major pain i thought the guy's name was rufus not i am so lost here now <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that, and that's what he said he said you can always come back home mm. and he said give it a try and i did you, you know a lot of coaches especially beginning coaches would, you know, fall over, do anything to get a college job offer. You get two at a really young um, age and stage of your career. I mean, you're barely into your career. Let's, let's be honest here uh, with coaching, you know, having some self-awareness, Tim, what do you think, like, why you, um, you know, there are other people they could have called, um, maybe the Radford one makes sense. Actually, you know, both because you have connections at both. But, you know, again, they have uh, they have all other connections. What do you think, you know, why why you for, for at this point in your career? And, you know, I, I never knew in terms of why I was blessed with the opportunity. I was just thankful that somebody saw something in me that they'd give me a chance. And, you know, I, I'm on the campus of, of High Point I'm 21 years old, you know, turning 22 and I'm, I'm coaching people my age and it's not a GA position. It's hey, you know, you're, you're the guy. So there's no student side of it. It's yeah. You're, you're the guy. I was, I was the home Depot lot attendant uh, from six to 10. Uh, I taught activity classes from 10 to two and from two to five, I was the assistant track coach. And then after 5.30, from 6 to 9, I was a night study hall monitor. 
So you're just you're just piecing together parts and pieces to make a living because ten thousand dollars ain't gonna make the living. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. It's interesting. You talked about your age at that point. You know, twenty one, turning twenty two, coaching young people that are roughly your age. Uh, and one of your other opportunities was Radford, your alma mater, because I'm always interested in the switch from like when a, a kid goes from student athlete to GA or student athlete to coach within one year at their alma mater. It's like, man, one day, one Friday night, you're playing Xbox with your friends. And on Monday, you're running practice. And, right. <laughs> you know, like, how, how do you, you got to change the relationship, the dynamic changes. Correct. So you didn't you didn't go to Radford to have to worry about that aspect. What what, what were there any struggles or concerns? You know, you're 21, 22, and you're telling another 21, 22 year old, hey, today's workout is X, Y, and Z. Any struggles that you had with that age dynamic? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I lied about my age for a while, except High Point and Radford are in the same conference. Mm-hmm. You know, so the same the only saving grace was the same hurdler I was coaching, I'd beaten the previous year at the conference championship. Hmm. You know, the, the same triple jumper, I, I'd beaten the same high jumper. You know, I was like, hey, I'm the conference champion. Three years in a row. What are you going to tell me? You know, so I, I had respect there, but I still hadn't learned the art of coaching management. You know, and, you know, I would, I, if I wanted to go out of town, if I, if I wanted to go have fun, go party, I went out of town to do so. You know, because there had to be that separation. It, it, I knew when I left home, there were certain people that heard I'm leaving a, a, a great job, great opportunity. And people said, you know what, you're stupid. You'll be back in, you'll be back in a year. You'll be back in two years. Those are the things that stuck with me. And, you know, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm big on proving people wrong. And it's like, oh, okay, you think I'll be back? I have no option. I have to make this work. So, you know, messing it up over, over, you know, a college kid that that's my age, you know, or that, you know, that, I mean, realistically, you know, doesn't know the difference between, you know, oh, this is crossing a line. This is not crossing a line. You know, I had to be the bigger person and say, okay, this has to work for me. Where did that instinct come from? Because not everybody gets that right out the, the gate. We, we have plenty of, of, uh, of us that make mistakes at that age and right. to learn from that side. Where did that instinct come from? It, it's, it was really the mentors that I had. Uh, you know, I, and Coach Barnes, you know, he, he guided me, you know, from day one, you know, and I still talk to him today. Um, you know, and Coach Shumpert, you know, the same way, you know, it's like, hey, you know, hey, you can do this, you can do this, don't do that one, you know? <laughs> and, you know, having enough, enough, you know, show enough deference to, to know that they, they know better than you do. So that's, that's really the, the, the source of it. Yeah. I think another word to use that you're showing there is discernment, you know, having ideas and options presented in front of you. Well, it takes someone who understands discernment to pick the right ones for you or the group to move forward on. And I'm not quite sure that that's a trainable feature. I think that might be a God given, like you are strong in discernment uh, when it comes to those type of, uh, of activities. Um, right. Cause right. You, you know, we can have mentors and obviously you've had strong mentors in your life, but they didn't write the playbook for you. They didn't write, okay, look, when you become the coach at 21, here's what you're going to, you know, you don't, there's nothing there. It's like, all right, here, here again, that trouble. He's like, I got to figure it out and make my own path moving forward here. That's right. So, so how did he go? You're at high point. You're doing a lot of different jobs. One of those is coaching track and field, of course. 
Um, how did you start learning how to coach track and field? And, and we don't talk X's and O's here necessarily, because that would be a disservice to everybody for me to talk X's and O's, but the, <laughs> the, the philosophy and style of coaching, how did you start developing that during your time at High Point? I maxed out credit cards um, <laughs> by anybody who I thought might uh, might be able to give me a nugget of success. Like, hey, what are you what are you drinking? What are you eating? Okay, I'm buying. I just want you to start talking. And you know, I went down to the uh, this is when when Charlie Francis was, was still you know still with us. I went to the Charlie Francis Speed Seminar. You know, they held it at UNC Asheville, and I can remember that vividly because that was the first clinic that I paid my own money to to go to and, and I was like hey I just you know I just need a hotel room Al and, and you know we're good to go and I went I went and you know I was the I was the fly on the wall that nobody noticed in a sense was, you know so he's out and he's talking to people at dinner and I'm just sitting there in the corner you know I've already spent all my money so I'm drinking water and eating the chips off the table <laughs> and just absorb just being a sponge and what I started doing was developing my own pile of truth. So, you know, I talked to, you know, we'll get this from Charlie Francis. We'll get this from, you know, Coach Shepard. I'll get this from Coach Knight. And I'll get this from, you know, the, the other mentors in my life. And, you know, or, you know, I'm sitting around out here, Curtis Fry, South Carolina, say something. You know, he's, he's been in the business for forever. I hear Mike Holloway say something and I'm listening and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to write it down immediately. Then I rush back to my hotel room. I rush back to my bag and write it down. And when I get back and compare it to my pile of truth, and it's like, okay, does it fit how I want to develop my system? Okay, great. Add it in. If it doesn't, don't throw it away, but lay it to the side because maybe later my philosophy will change and that'll be relevant to what we want to do. Now that's, that's interesting, Tim, because, you know, I'm a huge coaching education fan and advocate and uh, both um, what's, what's the right term here, both um, programmatically, meaning like USATF and USTFCCA and things like that. And what you're describing there, camps and clinics, but also the, the fly on the wall, like asking questions, listening, what do other people do, be, whether it's at a meet, at a clinic, uh, at the, at the table, next to the table. Uh, I, I think that's also an extremely important part of coaching education. Uh, I, I worry sometimes about coaching education with coaches when they hear how a mouse does something or how to Curtis does something and they automatically take it back and without discernment, right. They just throw it out. Like, we'll see what happens. That's what mouse does. So let's do it. That's what Carol does. Let's, let's do it. Uh, you seem to have had more of a, okay, let me take it back. And I love that term, uh, developing my own pile of truth. So, okay. I, I have guiding principles of what I believe training should look like that, that was built on your own experience. And then the, uh, experience up to that point of you actually coaching. So you right. have this guiding principle, how do these other, um, activities and thoughts and philosophies from these other great people? I mean, I'm certainly these are awesome people to be listening to and taking nuggets from that's for sure but how right. does that actually fit into my system correct in my philosophy right right and it was it was it was trial and error you know sometimes um and you know it, sometimes it was so irresponsible of me to to you know to to make some of those kids suffer through the changes that they were going through and it's like hey okay we want to try this but i was always transparent hey i'm learning this and you know we discuss it and it's like 
Do you feel like you could benefit from this? Okay, let's try to put some of this into practice. And like I said, you know, I, I was I was blessed with with a group that they felt like some and we had some of the older kids that kind of knew what I was doing, knew what I was going through, but then some of the younger kids who, you know, was blind trust. It's like, hey, okay, coach said it, let's do it. And, you know, that that always helped. But like I said, it's it was still trial and error. And like and developing your philosophy is 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 tough because if if you're not tried by fire, you know, I tell my kids now, say, hey, I messed up a whole lot better athletes than you. I promise you, I know not, I know what not to do. So I'll get it right. That's some humbleness there. Hey, look, man, I've messed them up. <laughs> That's it. And, and you know, whether it's in the periodization process, it's like, oh, why did they fizzle out here? Or whether it's in, you know, actually what to do, you know, and 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 Boo helped me, uh, Boo Schneider, when uh, I took my level two jumps. You know, he taught me more about about sprint training than in in the jump session and how to categorize stuff. You know, and I was like, oh, so you do this on these days and this on these days and this on these days. Yeah, it's like, yeah, these don't match and then these don't match. And, you know, it, it, years later when I go down to, uh, I go out to uh, ARCO, to the Olympic Training Center, you know, Charles Clinton, you know, kind of added to that pile of truth with, with emerging elite education. And, you know, like, hey, and, and that was that was aggressive, you know, and just, and just as much as I love to be immersed they were throwing everything at us that we could possibly think of, you know, Dr. Mann, you know, talking about the biomechanics of it all and, you know, but it all has to fit. Otherwise it's an information overload. It's like drinking from a fire hose. How much can you really digest? Yeah. You're not, you're not really quenching any thirst drinking from a fire hose. It sounds like the right thing, but it, it is not the right cool. thing. What, what year did you do that level two with Boo? So my level two, actually I have it like, uh, should have been 2004. Where was that at? Sorry, I got all my yeah, stuff right. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Where was that at? So actually, yeah, 2004, and we did it at uh, Mississippi State. <laughs> so that's when I was at Mississippi State. That's right. <laughs> uh -huh. they, they don't even make them like this anymore. <laughs> mm, those are special. Yeah, I remember that one because we so we were the host, and I, I did combined events in my um, ITC, my instructor training course there. Yes. Um, yes. But it's super interesting that you said the way you talked about the boo and level two, because I'm one of those guys that uh, would say it as well. Level two and level two specifically with boo changed my entire career. It, it really did. Um, and I, I actually say it the exact same way you did. I go, man, because that was my first level two. And I signed it because I was a air quotes. I was a sprints and hurdles coach. That's what I was, you know, I had to coach jumps, but I was a sprints hurdles coach. And right. so I signed up for sprints hurdles. And I, I still remember where I was. I was uh, coaching at Ball State, uh, where I was in the car when Mike Korn called me and said, hey, I'm sorry, the sprints and hurdles is full, but mm -hmm. I have a slot for you in the jumps. And I was like, I mean, I was devastated. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I'm a sprints hurdles coach. What? Oh, I have to coach the jumps. I don't want to coach the jumps. And uh -huh. and Mike told me he's like, hey, you'll. He's like, I understand you're disappointed. You'll you'll learn a lot about sprints in this as well. Trust me. All and right. I was like, all right. Well, I was like, I'd probably eventually get it anyway. So let's do it. And I begrudgingly did it, man. It was in Boise State. I drove from Muncie, Indiana to Boise State. Whew. And yeah, yeah, that's a haul. And. uh Oh my goodness. I mean, in, in the next year I did sprints with Dennis Shaver and mm -hmm. 
uh, some of the other crew there, uh, Gary Winkler, and learned a ton. Uh, you know, I'm not taking anything away from the sprints curriculum. Right. The jumps and the training theory, that's what you're describing there, of where you put things, how you do things, uh, what order, what time of the year. It was like, I mean, it was it was literally the, I had blinders on and, right. and Boo took them off and, and gave me like corrective lenses. <laughs> like, oh, right. I can see, like this makes... So much, and I think a lot of that is the genius of his of his uh, teaching. Like right. he just, I mean, the man was born to be a teacher, and thank goodness he does that in the form of uh, track and field coaching because it's right. like no other. So I love, like when you said that, I learned more about sprints during jumps level two. I was like, oh my, that's that's my experience. I, I share that with you a hundred percent. That's right. H- have you ever told Boo that? Have you ever? No. Him, yeah. So if he watches, then he'll, he'll, he'll learn it. <laughs> I, I would encourage you. You know, I, we had boo on the show last year, uh, probably about a year and two months ago now. And fascinating. First of all, I've known boo now forever and consider him a mentor and a friend. And so one to learn his journey he was super interesting. High school football coach, defensive coordinator, all that kind of stuff. It was quite awesome. But at the end, a real treat for me. This was super selfish, honestly, uh, but it was a real treat for me. I got to look this man in his eyes and and represent you and thousands of other coaches. And say, I, I told him, I was like, hey, there are people who, for one reason or other, haven't been able to, don't feel comfortable, whatever, doesn't matter, tell you thanks. Like you have had such an impact on them. And so it really meant a lot to me. That's why I say it was selfish. It meant a lot to me to be able to represent lots of people out there. Um, but I, I would encourage you, to shoot him an email next time you see him in a clinic or me, just like, Hey man, just want to tell you like, boy, I learned so much. And you know, I might be part of my story of where I am today is because of going to Mississippi state. And that's the, you know, great place uh, for track and field as well, by the way, uh, right. going to Stark Vegas and, and uh, having you for level two, man, that I, I just encourage you to do that, you know, yeah, uh, right. to do that. That's awesome. So you did level two. That's a big, uh, that's a big undertaking. That's a whole week. And you had to spend that whole week in Starkville during the summer. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There was uh, at that point, there was not a lot to do in Starkville during uh, the summer. That's for sure. Uh, right. It's grown mightily. Uh, but as you were going through that class and learning and soaking up and, you know, you can kind of right now, you can kind of, you know, have the memories of like, oh man, when he said X and we did this group project and yeah, it just, you know, it is, it is literally a little overwhelming, all the things that you pick up. Right. Did that light an extra fire. I don't know that you need a fire lit under you to do better. You're very self-motivated in that sense, but was there an extra oomph of like, man, I cannot wait to get back and coach. Like, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. We go right now. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you know, what was, I knew I had something when I think, uh, so this, I, this is my second year at, at Charleston Southern when I did this. Okay. So catch us up. Did you go from high point to Charleston Southern? Correct. Okay. Correct. So I was at high point for two years and one of my mentors actually called me and said, Hey, Charleston Southern's looking for a new coach already uh threw your name in the hat they're waiting on you to call and you know through through a through a longer process you know they already had their candidates it, and then it turned out that none of the candidates were right and they called me down i got the job um and they're hosting conference the first year and i'm walking into a a head coaching position at i think i was 23 years old turning 24 Ooh, okay yeah hold on now yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> 
my favorite, like this is a question, it's an automatic anytime when someone becomes a head coach for the first time, it's my automatic question. But I kind of know the answer. I have to know the answer here. I, there's no way the answer is not to the negative here. Were you ready for this? No, absolutely. <laughs> it's all, it's always my litmus test of how honest someone's being with me. Because if they're like, oh, yeah, I was super ready. You know, probably could have done it five years ago. I'm like, oh, okay, you're full of it. What in the world were you thinking? Besides, I hope they paid 12000 versus the 10000 that you paid at High Point. Maybe Exactly. <laughs> You know, it it was in. I told, uh, you know, Barry Shepard was the one that called me. And, you know, I told. Him, I said, I, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. And he was like, Trust me, I know you. You're ready. Call him. Hmm. And I picked up. Yes, sir. I mean, what do, what do you say? You know, <laughs> deference. <laughs> and um, like, I'll tell you how unready I felt or unprepared I felt in a sense. After a while, the athletic director asked the women's coach, Tasha, if I was homeless because I was always in the office. Yes. I don't, I don't know. I mean, so many emotions when you said that. Sad. Uh, <laughs> uh, amazing. Because it's like, oh, what a work ethic. I mean, holy cow. I was, I, was, I was there because I didn't want to miss what I didn't know that I didn't know. Say that again. I stayed in the office to make sure that I didn't miss what I didn't know that I didn't know. Hmm. What does that mean? About, about head coaching, about the, the 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 coaching side of it was coming along, but how to manage, how to you know uh, the logistics of, of coaching. There was no director of operations. There was no equipment manager. There was there was no travel agency to go through. I was the guy, and it had to happen. If it didn't originate from me, it didn't happen for the program. So, all of the meat entry, all of the hotels, all of the buses, all of the logistics that a head coach is supposed to manage on that level, I hadn't done it. And you know what was I missing about alumni relations? What was I missing about, you know, the the approval of budget management? What was I missing, you know, and in all of the areas of compliance and, and everything else that you had to go through as a head coach, you know, and every, every assistant says that that says I want that seat. You don't know what it's like until you sit there, and it all rests on you. And if you don't direct it, it's not going to happen. In 2003, I sat in the seat, and the thing that I could remember was the the, the neighbor that said, "Oh, it ain't gonna work. You'll be home in two years." From from leaving high school. Yeah. And I'm like, mm -mm, I ain't going home. This will work. This has to work because I'm not a failure. So. Yeah. So, I so in the office, I did everything right there in that, that corner office. So what surprised you the most becoming a new head coach at 23, by the way? I mean, come on. Um, besides having host conference, by the way, and we'll put a pin in that because 
that's the only track people think about that. Uh, no right. football coach goes, oh, we're hosting the conference meet. I, 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 yeah, it's a big deal. Other people take care of it. I'll coach my team. The track coach has to be like, oh, uh, I got to get officials. I got to <laughs> do the whole nine here. Right. So besides that, what surprised you? Like, Because you had to have some idea. You knew travel had to be done. You maybe didn't know how to do it or how to do it effectively or efficiently, uh, budgeting, et cetera. But what was the one thing like, oh man, I did not, I actually did not realize I had to do X, Y, or Z, or I didn't know this would be so hard. I thought this was going to be a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Managing scholarship allocation. Uh, because I think in most other places I had another resource at the institution that would help me out. I had a business manager that she told me when I got the job, she said, I won't let you fail. She said, if you're, if you're in danger, she said, I'm going to be firm with you, but I won't let you fail. And, and I appreciate it, but I didn't want to have to lean on her, but I knew somebody had my back. You know, even when it came to hosting conference, uh, the, the head women's coach, I was the head men's coach, the head women's coach, uh, Tasha Ansley, you know, she had been working on, you know, some of the logistics for officials and the conference championship. So we could tag team on that. That was that was easier process because she was already there. She had been there a year and she knew exactly, you know, OK, we got a direction where we need to go. But we had three point nine scholarships. That was our funding. And we had to fulfill a cross country program you know, and a track program on 3.9 at a private institution. And how do, how are we going to do that? Yeah, how? That's great. Because when you said 3.9, I was like, well, that's a really good GPA. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) That's scholarship for 20 plus events on track and field and cross country. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And when I look at it, it's like, okay, great. Where's the rest? Yeah. Yeah. there, There was no more. You're like, oh, this is for cross country? <laughs> You're like, yeah, cross and track. Uh, right. wait a exactly. And, you know, learning how much track meets travel cost. How much, oh, I want to keep them for spring break. Oh, I want to get this. You know, I saw Florida had this and yeah, you're not Florida. Sorry. No. Or, you know, you know, or, or you know, hey, Oklahoma did such and such and such. And it was like, yeah, you're not going to do it. And it got to the point where, you know, as I moved through Charleston Southern, I got my massage therapy degree because I saw every other school was traveling with a massage therapist that I wanted to be like. Hmm. So <laughs> that's the other one. I, <laughs> I went to the athletic director. I said, you pay half, I'll pay half. And wow. How many, now that's not that common. You know, I talk to coaches all day, every day. That part is not very common. You went out and got your massage therapy license so because you weren't gonna be able to hire a massage therapist, so you're like, all right, well, see a need, fill a need. I'll, I'll go learn it myself. I do it myself. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you could scream, hey, we need more money. We need more money. We need more money. And everybody's saying the same thing. Yeah, and we do need more money. But I'm also, I'll ask a few times and then I'll find another solution. So that was my solution. I just go to massage therapy school. So how did the couple of years at Charleston Southern go uh, in regards to being a head coach? How did, how did your, your learning curve go? Greatly accelerated. Oh, and even then I I met people and I was there 10 years, you know, so I've met people during that 10 year period that, that knew considerably more than I did. 
I met people that, that were able to pour into my development, you know, and, and, you know, we even had, we had a uh, Jonathan Daniels who came back and he was a jumps coach for us. And to add to what Boo had already said in terms of categorizing, you know, so it, it may not be familiar with Jonathan. Jonathan was a professional long jumper. He actually jumped with a uh, Carl. He worked with uh, Tom Tellez and he worked with Coach Yang over at Rice. And those entire training groups were Carl Lewis and, and, and Rosan Stanford and, and all of those guys. So he was a fly in the wall in that group and could bring, you know, things back to me to say, hey, you know, so this is how the other groups are doing this. And I mean, we sit and talk and my wife would, would, would have to call me like, hey, when you coming home? And I'm like, oh, hey, I'll be home. And, you, you don't live in the office anymore. Get home. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 She was like, you know, you, you do have a family. I was like, when I met you, I was in the office. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's changed here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, saying her heads prevailed and, you know. So <laughs> we, yeah, these are all things you did not actually say. Right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, just, just moving the program along and we had some success. We went from accepting, you know, and giving scholarships to 49 second quarter milers to, to coaching 45 second quarter milers. You know, and I think by the time we left, as I showed progress, the athletic director started giving more scholarships into the, into the program. We went from 3.9. By the time I left in, uh, in 13, we were at a uh, 5.4. Yeah. Hey, you know, we... not much of a, you know, compared to 12.6 fully funded, we're still below half, but at the same time, you know, it was, it was a jump for us. Right. You, you can only compare where the situation you're in today. Right. So 3.9 to 5.4 is, is huge. Right. We, we, we certainly believe healthy things grow. So if you're growing in scholarship and budgeting and responsibility, that's, that's a positive. It, only healthy things are going that route, you know? Correct. Correct. And it, it, it meant a lot to me, every increase we got because it increased my buying power. It increased, you know, the opportunities I could give to, to other students. And like I said, and to, to the core of me, I'm still, how do I repay Coach Knight? Do it for somebody else. And, you know, so the more resources, the more you can do, the more you can be him on a larger scale, you know? And, and, and I think that's, that was my driving force. But like I said, you know, I wanted to be better. And I think we got better. Um, had, you know, went from, and, you know, everybody tries to classify you. Oh, okay. My, I had Nathan Breland who ran 2073 when, you know, we're talking 2006 and that made the national meet. And I'm like, okay, let's, 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 let's do it. <laughs> and, you know, so we, we ran at Sac State. He was my first national qualifier. Um, then, you know, had Michael Rue who ran 2089 in the same meet and, you know, also was a 46 quarter miler. Then I had Levi Brooks who ran 45, 45.7 in the 400. And then we came back, had Javon Young, uh, who was 10.17 in the one, 6.64 in the 60, and 20.64 in the, in the 200. And, you know, we had uh, LeVon Allen who, you know, ended up uh, jumping eight meters by the time he was done. Uh, Braxton Drummond who ended up jumping eight meters. You know, and I'm looking. Braxton Drummond was a, was a future eight meter long jumper who I got for two thousand dollars, and 
I don't know why he said yes, but, but he did. But, you know, at the, the more we did, the, the more results we put out, the more, you know, people started trusting us. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I want to be good. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come there. Let's explore that a little bit. I think there's some value maybe we can reach for other people out there and not just, so, so the immediate person I thought, I was like, oh, you know, that um, situation that you described there being at 3.9, let's just call it four or four or five scholarships. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunately fairly common. There's a lot of our mid-majors, smaller schools that are in that range and maybe worse off, there's people with two scholarships. So so you, you, thinking about that idea of, a uh, few scholarships, so for college coaches, but also the high school coaches who are constantly working to get their kids into the right program on the next level. Uh, and some, you know, I don't like the stereotypes of like well, every kid thinks they deserve a full ride, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And while there certainly are some outstretched uh, ideas of what maybe their marks should get them, I also don't mind, a, I mean, we're talking about 17, 18 year old kids. I also don't mind a 17, 18 year old kids shooting for the moon. Uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'd almost be a little bit, the other side's like, wait, you think you're only worth a quarter of scholarship? Like, like <laughs> come on, man. Why don't you think the world of yourself here? Right. I mean, you right. know, you're only going to get older, brother. Uh, so think, think <laughs> of the world right now, but, uh, but, but talk to us about how do you, and how did you, and I know this, the seam actually went a little bit longer, but uh, just staying right here in this Charleston Southern times, you did it for 10 years and had a lot of success. I mean, you just nailed off marks that, I mean, I would second guess that any coach would have said they wouldn't take on their team. I don't care what program they're at. Those were, you know, uh, those weren't good marks. Those were excellent marks. So how do you manage a program with limited, so so two things, uh, and probably more, but two things going against you. One, uh, you don't have the allotment. You don't have the 11.6. So you've got to be really frugal. Uh, you can't miss. <laughs> you give a 75% to someone, boy, they better they better out, outpace even your expectations. Right. Uh, it's not like you have uh, four or five scholarships and that you're at the University of Florida. And what I mean by that is like, oh, people are attracted to the university for other reasons, big mm-hmm. name, college football team, et cetera. You're at Charleston Southern uh, with four or five scholarships. How did you develop your philosophy of recruiting, um, um, performance analyzation? Like, how did you pick? I have to assume, and you correct me here, Tim, those kids that you mentioned, all, again, all marks that no one's going to turn away from their team. I have to assume you said one kid ran 1018, 1017. I have to assume he did not run 1025, 1030 out of high school. Again, correct me. I could be wrong. I assume the kid was probably more of a 109, maybe even 11 flat type of kid. Uh, You'll get into some specifics maybe here, but how did you go through analyzing what kids to spend money on? How did you analyze how much to spend money on? That's just, I mean, you got to be really frugal, really efficient with your money and time with athletes talk to us about that process for you you know and most of those kids probably wouldn't have even gotten a a major offer um from from a recruiting standpoint i i looked at them early i looked at them often um and i found the kids who had the problems that i could fix and you know i think every coach has to know what they're good at fixing you know, they have to know, honey, okay, my system works well for for this type of kid. And you got to know your school's cheat code. You know, I know if if I can get them at this GPA and we can stack the aid, I can get this amount in academics and they get the Pell Grant and they'll get this type of aid and they'll get work. Okay, so now 
no, I don't have to pay for a full, I have to pay for, you know, 50%. And, you know, that that's casting a net, you know, you, you basically, you're selling Hondas so, or, or you're looking for Hondas, you know, you're not going to find, you know, the Bentley, you know, in that, in that pile, you know, you're casting a, a wide net to try to sift through and you're prospecting almost like, like gold prospecting, you know, you, you sift, shake, uh, nope, nothing there, sift, shake, nope, nothing there. And I went off the 10% rule, 10% of the questionnaires I sent back, I was going, I was actually going to get back, you know, um, out of those 10%, 10% might come to school and, 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 and come for a visit out of those 10%. One uh, 10% of that might actually be right and have the right financial aid package and say yes. So I can put out 100 questionnaires to get 10 back. And out of those 10, I might get one that's the right one. And that's, you know, you, you do that several hundred times. And, you know, then you start finding if you have, after you have success, that pipeline. This this coach trusts me. They, they know what I can do for their kids. They know what I can't do for their kids, um, financially and athletically. You know, and, and we we had success in Georgia, and you know we could go up to. I I knew I could go up to Pennsylvania because school was going to cost just as much up there as it did in Charleston, South Carolina. So I could get a yes a little bit easier. You know, you could go to California because school was going to cost you know what it costs. Uh, I knew I couldn't go to Texas and, you know, and I, you know, as you learn as a coach, as a recruiter, Hey, where am I going to have success? And that's kind of where we started finding our success. And like I said, there, there were a couple of coaches either in Georgia or, you know, in Florida or, you know, up in Pennsylvania or New York and California that could trust us to, to do right by their, their student athlete. And, and hey, I can do what I can do. I can't do what I can't do. And I was upfront, you know, and where it might not be right for that particular kid you're, you're working on, the coach will remember that. And the kid said, hey, it wasn't right for me, but it might be right for you. So that that was the process for me. So you, you mentioned a lot of great ideas there from knowing your school's cheat code. I like how you, you put that. Um, right. Now, I might be naive, but I, I feel like most coaches have that down, or at least are on the path. I mean, I know every scholarship available, but, you know, mixing the use of Pell Grants and scholarship, that seems like a fairly common uh, activity for coaches. You talked about uh, hustling, you know, sending out a thousand questionnaires, I'm gonna get a hundred back, 10 of them are actually going to be the right fit. And one of them might say yes. So I better, it's a numbers game I hear a, a lot of times, right? So I, and I feel like, you know, um, most of us coaches wise, we're, we're, we're pretty good at that. I can't imagine how many trees we kill for questionnaires out there today. Uh, right. We do, we do a lot. So that seems, that seems right. Uh, pipeline. You know, I think a lot of us are trying to build that. There's definitely maybe a discussion to be had about, you know, how much of a, uh, as a college coach, how much do you involve the high school or club coach? There's a kind of, you know, there's a spectrum, but there's some competing thoughts about recruiting. Do I actually reach out to the high school coach or not? And, um, for that. But one thing that you said that right off the bat that I thought was super interesting was uh, know what you can fix. 
Now, tell me again, knowing that we don't talk X's and O's and God bless, if you ever hear Tim at a clinic, if he's there to speak on whatever, sprints, hurdles, jumps, it doesn't matter. Go listen to him speak. You will learn a lot. Uh, We're not going to get into that today, but I thought that was interesting in a self-awareness thing. Because if you know what you can fix on an athlete, that means you have to know what you are not necessarily able to fix. Like, oh, my system and my philosophy is not great at the person who's strong this way. I need someone who's stronger over here, which means their weakness is this way. Talk to us about that. Cause that sounds more of like, Oh, I'm going to find the hidden gym. I'm going to go find, um, I'm going to throw crazy numbers here. Uh, I'm going to go find the 11, five, uh, boy sprinter. I know everybody's like, Oh, that's a fast girl. No boy (laughs) sprinter, but I'm going to give him 10% because, uh, they look like X and their strength is Y. And that means their weakness is Z. And guess what? My strength is Z. Like I can take that and go on with that. Tell me more about that kind of like talent identification that find the hidden gem philosophy you had there. That's right. I mean, whether you're finding that kid who, who does the right things that you like in your system immediately, but may not be as strong or, you know, lacks maturity or is, you know, use, use, I use examples in, in a couple of different places at Charleston Southern. I had, and uh, Anthony Ward, uh, he came out of high school, ran 11, one his freshman year, he went 10, 60. Um, you know, people say, Oh, you know, okay. Well, he was going to do that with maturity. Well, he still had to mature. <laughs> Wait, wait a minute. There are a gaggle of 11 ones that never get 10, six. I'm not sure that's a given like, Oh, he just had to mature. Well, right. that's, that's called coaching my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. I mean, if, if you look at uh, Levi Brooks, the one I told you that ran a 45, uh, seven, uh, this was his sophomore year. Uh, his, his state championship, he ran 48, 17, you know? So it, again, it's, seeing him run, you know, and it's like, he's got a consistent stride length and he's got some of the things that I like. And I think he'll fit in very well with the system that we do to build aerobic strength, to build, you know, everything that he needs in order to be a great athlete and then watch it pay off. You know, Javon Young was, was 1056, no, uh, 1071 coming out of high school when we signed him. Then he went and ran 105 after we signed him. And then by his sophomore year, he was 10, 17. But, you know, to look at that kid, it's like, ooh, I see I see what he's doing. I know I can fix it. I, almost you're saying to yourself, I hope he doesn't fix it before I get on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good thing you signed him at 10, 7, because you might not have been able to sign him at 10, 5. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. exactly. You know, if we want to get stronger, we go in the weight room and we lift weights. If we want to get faster, uh, maybe this is shocking. This is a, uh, maybe this is an X's and O's to you. Listen out there. If you want to get faster, you run fast, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm learning, I'm doing a lot of kind of deep diving into ideas. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause we, you know, when I say, if you want to get stronger, go to the weight room, everybody, goes, you, even you, you shook your head like, yeah, duh. Right. right. Um, but for idea, like we don't think about people who come up with lots of, and lots of good ideas of like, like we kind of think it's more natural. Like, Oh, I just, I, I, you know, I don't have that or, Oh, that, that person has that. And, uh, we're actually learning that ideas is kind of like a muscle as well. And the more you work towards them and, and dissect how you come up with good ideas, you can come up with more ideas. Um, so how, how do you flex your muscle? How do you get in the weight room for what you're talking about with that talent identification? You know, you may, cause I would think that a lot of people listening right now heard you say that. And we're like, yeah, I do that. 
there's nothing special here, Tim. I don't know who this Tim guy is, but he, he ain't saying nothing special. I do that. I go look at him. And I go, yeah, that no one's looking at that kid. And um, so I take them on, you know, I, I take that walk on and, and they're, they, you know, I, I took the one, everybody has an example. I have at least one that went from walk on to all American or all conference or improved tremendously, right. but I can go look at Juco D3, D2, NAIA results and say, uh, but there's a lot of people being overlooked because there are plenty, you know, I've, I've said it and I still say it, I'll say it right here to my friend, the head coach at Oklahoma. Uh, some of the best coaches around are in D3 because you go look at the national meet results. Uh, they're pretty good, my friend. In fact, what was this past year? The winner for the 100 was 1016 and the 200 was like 20 point. And maybe that was division two. I don't remember. One of the right. division twos. Uh, and there's two different kids and any division one would have taken those kids. Yes. And I assume because they were not at division one, they were not that great marks wise at a high school, but Correct. someone had to have looked at them. They, I imagine they had to, let's say the kid that, the, yeah, it was D3 kid. He won 10, 16, I think it was what he won the hundred. And I imagine if I interviewed that kid and said, Hey, out of high school, you ran what? And let's just say he said 11 flat, or let's say he said 10, nine. And uh, he was like, yeah, I really wanted to go to, and I'm not going to um, insinuate names, but I really want, you know what? I'm going to use you since you're right here, Tim. I really wanted to go to Oklahoma. Like I grew up just South in the Dallas area. You know, I was a Sooner fan, uh, but you know, I ran 10, nine and they, they just said, you know, I wasn't Big 12 material, which most probably would. Okay, that's not again, that's not a bad thing. You can't take every 10 nine on your on your team, right? Uh, but other coaches also said, yeah, yeah, not not fast enough. And this kid goes to I don't remember what school he went to in D three and runs 10 16. So obviously, a lot of people missed what they thought they were good at talent identification, and they just whiffed it, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So how do you how do you how do you bench press? How do you get stronger? How do you get better at this talent ID so that you are not missing as many kids telling them, no, sorry, this is, you know, our program just doesn't have room for you. And the other side of you think you see a kid like, oh yeah, I can fix that kid. And they come and they don't get fixed, right? Not everybody pans out. How do you flex that muscle and get better at it? Oh my goodness. And the more you got for, and this is, this is personal. So, you know, uh, the more you can you, you can see conservation of momentum, the more you can you can see the potential of oh man, look at the I, and I call them variable factors, you know elasticity, you know leveling, uh, technical competency, uh, you know training age, um, you know I, I mean I, and I can go down I can go down the list you know I, I like it's absolute strength you know ability to fire speed of contraction. You know, if we're talking about hurdlers, you know, there's a there's a list of things that you look at there. And you know, you I've whiffed on a couple, or uh, I've I've had to wait longer than I thought I did. You know, and, and the last one, grit. You know, how tough is the kid? You know, so yeah, I I've tried to master identifying those variable factors that say this one might be a good fit. But also, when when you're talking about working at a at a, at a high point university at, at a Charleston Southern, you know, even when I went on to South Carolina state, what it took to score in a conference, you may be able to take more chances on developmental kids. And what I found out, you know, once you go to a power five, you know, some of them pass because they don't have an immediate impact. And I, and I call that market value. You know, what's the market value of the developmental kid. If you know, you're not going to get a return on them immediately you know okay so mm -hmm. you know and uh jim uh Vinodigan, 
uh, who I worked with for a month here. And um, he always told me, he said, you know, on the mid-major level, you're as good as your seniors. On the power five level, you're as good as your freshmen. And that stuck with me. And it, it makes sense because what are you spending your money on? And that's why sometimes, you know, a, a major school has to pass on a kid because their market value, they can't get a return on investment for two years. And, you know, think about it, most of the kids that I talked to you about that, that ran those fast times, it was, it was an, it was a two year investment, you know, and at 3.9 scholarships, I'm, you know, you really have to set up a program of this one's going to pay off in a year. This one's going to pay off the year after that. This one's going to pay off the year after that. And then I have to recruit the next freshman in order to get them in so they can have the year of growth or development for them to pay off. But I got them all at the right price. And then you go and you blow a, a full scholarship on the developmental kid. And then you're, you're saying you're in a, at the Power 5 institution and they don't pay off for two, almost three years. You know, that's a good way to be unemployed, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that insight. It, um, and you're right, it's not a 100% game. There, no one is hitting this 100% of time of developmental kids that all pan out to be great. And by great, it doesn't have to be All-American to be great. They could be a, they could go from walk-on to a contributing member of your uh, conference champion four-by-one team or something. Right. I mean, you know, there, there's levels to that part of the game. You, you listed a, uh, several different kind of variables, you know, that ended with grit. Is there a variable that is a non-starter for you? And what I mean by that, I'm going to kind of explain it and, and let you kind of think about that question a little bit. Is there something, whether now we're kind of out of the realm of just developmental kids, developmental included, but also the all-stars, the ones that, you know, are everybody is quote unquote recruiting. Is there a variable that um, whether someone has or doesn't have that is a, uh, you're not coming to Tim Langford's program here. Uh, it may be lack of grit. It may be, and, and not the variables that you have no control over, meaning bad GPA, because you, you just can't recruit them if they don't have the GPA and test requirements. But is there a, um, you know what, Mike, if they're short, I'm sorry, I just, I'm not a good short person coach. I, I need the levers and, you know, because that helps with other things. Is there a, a variable uh, that they, that a, a athlete has or doesn't have that is a non-starter for you? I think it it speaks to character for me. Bad character or or lazy. Because or uh, as some people say, beyond reproach, you know, uncorrectable, you know, hey, you know, I got it, and there's nothing you're going to tell me. Okay, you got it. You got it. Might as well go pro. But those those are the things that that in my program. Okay, if I can't coach you, I can't help you. You know? <laughs> Wait, hold on. That was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Like, oh, you got it? All right, go pro. You don't need me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I might start using that with coaches one day when they're like, well, I already got that. I'm like, well, man, what you need me for, man? You might as well start it. your own pro circuit, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Most other things, you have to know how much of the other variable factors you, and, you know, I always say you, you got to be, especially on this level now, you have to be a freak in one way or the other in my variable factors hmm. you got to be a you know freak freak leveling freak grit you know that, that was pre-fontaine you know he, he would hurt more than anybody else you know it's so, a uh, freak work ethic freak hmm. uh explosiveness you know strength elasticity you know find the freaks in one one category or the other so they they don't bother me and be willing to learn 
to be progressed and from where you are to where you're headed. You know, if, if you can do that, you know, like I said, I, I think there's a there's a place for you here as long as you can show me you have the market value. Well, I think if, you know, we do have some student athletes that listen, uh, I think that was a pretty valuable lesson right there. The, the, the non-variable, the non-starter uh, is character, bad character. Can't, it's hard, hard to overcome that. I, I can teach a short kid to run fast. I can teach a long, uh, a tall kid to throw far. Uh, yeah. It's tough to take a kid who just, their morals and ethics are, are just not at a high standard. It's hard to, to change that. So let's, for the sake of time, Tim, let's keep moving here. You said Charleston Southern for 10 years. You kind of give us a little bit of a preview of where you go next. Talk to us about where you went and why, why'd you go there? Went to South Carolina State University. I uh, was there for six years. Um, and it, it was the opportunity to become the head coach of a men's and women's program. Um, you know, obviously it was a raise. I didn't have to move my family. I, I commuted an hour to work every day, <laughs> um, which, which was he gave me recruiting time, uh, uh, think time to, to, to plan out the day if I'm going up or, you know, if I'm getting home, you know, I, by the time you get home, your recruiting's done. Um, you know, you could get out of the car and give the rest of the time to the family. But, uh, you know, really enjoyed the time, enjoyed the, the culture of an HBCU. Um, really enjoyed the, the people that I worked with. You know, I, you know, just didn't have a lot of resources. And I knew that going in, um, you know, some of our HBCUs struggle with, with, with resources and funding and, and, and trying to, you know, keep a leg up, you know, with the with the majors uh, or the, you know, the, our peers. I'll say that. And, you know, I accepted the challenge and it was fun. Um, produced a, a USA 60 meter national champion out of South Carolina State, uh, produced the NCAA 400 meter champion you know, out of South Carolina State. So, you know, we were able to get the talent in um, and cultivate it a little bit. Neither one of them were, you know, there was, again, more more that uh, standard of, you know, find the people that I knew I can fix these problems. You know, if, if you look at uh, Demet Kemp, uh, who won the USA 60-meter championship, you know, when, when I saw him, you know, again, he was one of those kids that had run 10-7 when we start recruiting him, and then his state meter in 10-5. Um, you know, and then by the time he graduated, he was 10.03 in the one. So, you know, that was, you know, his ultimate PR in the 60. He was third at the NCAA championships in the uh, 60 meters the year that Elijah Hall won. Uh, and he was 6.55, 6.54 in the 60. Um, and, and then Tyrell Richard, you know, coming out of high school, he uh, he ran 48.1 um, coming out of high school, but he had also ran 10.71 in the one. Uh, so we split him with football. And, and I told him, I said, hey, I'll give you the money, you know, and, and, but, you're, you know, when you're done with football, come on out. And he, he ultimately made the decision to hang up the football cleats and, and come out for track. And within that next calendar year, he was at the national championships. So you continue that tradition of finding, I mean, these are not stellar kids out of high school. And I hesitate to say that if they were, they'd be at maybe a power five or division uh, other division one type of program. Right. Uh, so you're still, you're, you're just working your system of the, the tangibles of which, what are you looking for? What can I, what, what can I, what, what kids can I find that I can fix that I can improve, you know, in a different right. word there. Yeah. Correct. What, um, you know, I'm fascinated, you know, HBCUs are having like their day d deservedly. So by the way, um, some of it is certainly driven by, um, 
Oh man, prime time. Deion Sanders. Well, I almost forgot Deion Sanders' name. He's not a listener, so I don't have to worry about him uh, making him mad. Uh, but some of it is driven by what Deion is doing at Jackson State, which uh, you know, and it has its own also divisiveness inside the HBCU world uh, specifically. But you know, he's definitely like. You know, I, I coached at Mississippi State, and so I went to Jackson a lot, never outside of the track. They had some amazing track athletes and track coaches there. Uh, right. But did, but not. I did not look up on Saturday how Jackson State football was doing. I didn't care. Uh, and now today I'm like, hey, how did, how did Jackson State do this week? <laughs> like, I, I care for some reason because of what Dion's doing. I, I, I retweeted. They uh, showed Dion like at the beginning of one of the football games, the crowd's getting into it. I'm, I'm sure this is uh, whether this is a typical HBCU atmosphere or specifically Jackson State, which they're getting like 50,000 people at each game, by the way. Oh, uh, until this year, Illinois wasn't getting 50,000 people. <laughs> Uh, but it was just like this electric, fun band playing attitude. And I retweeted and said, I would have walked on to this dude's program just to be in this atmosphere. Like it just seemed like the most fun. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, so many, not only great programs inside of HBCU, but really great people. Like I'm thinking of my guy, Lamont Vaughn and Grambling now. Uh, oh, yeah. No better person, by the way, than Richie Bean at Alabama State, longtime friend. Both of those guys are uh, Gill Connections podcast alums as well. Uh, Lincoln, Pine Bluff. I mean, the list goes, you know, I, I hesitate to make lists because I'm going to uh, uh, miss a lot of people. Bethune Cookman, South Carolina State, FAMU, right. I mean, just, just amazing people that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years. What was it like coaching in an HBCU in regards to the, like, can you describe the, um, there, there is something special that I can't even relate to, uh, honestly. Uh, can you describe what it was like coaching at HBCU, maybe the fraternity of HBCU coaches and athletes? What, what was that, that like during that time there? It, you know, it really was amazing. Um, and, you know, we had uh, Coach Buddy Pugh, our, our, our head football coach at the time, you know, he, he poured more wisdom that he'd forgotten in life than I'll ever know, you know, and, you know, he just being in head coach meetings and listening to him talk and, you know, just the things that he'd been through, you know, in his long time coaching tenure, you know, it, it gave me nuggets. It gave me wisdom to think about and how we wanted to run our program. And, you know, it was, it was just the way everybody kind of banded together and it's, it's us, you know, I, I could go over and I could sit in, in Murray Govern's office, you know, then he's our head basketball coach. And, you know, we could just sit and talk a little bit. And, you know, and Murray uh, coached at Charleston Southern when I was there. So I knew him. And then I could go play golf with, with Doug Robertson, the, the, the head women's basketball coach, and, and gain introspection from him. There was one year, you know, like, you know, I tell you, you know, resource stricken a little bit. Um, just Doug paid for our shoes. You know, so it was like, hey, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll buy the track and field program shoes. And but but that gave you the the idea that, hey, yeah, this this is this is us against everyone else. You know, and, and we didn't operate so much in silos because it, hey, I, I was the only full time coach at South Carolina State. We had a part time coach that, you know, we made, uh, you know, we made um, uh, our cross country coach. And, you know, uh, uh, the AD that hired me, uh, Charlene Johnson, you know, she she gave me uh, GA positions that I that would help me out and help me drive vans and help me do all of that stuff. I can remember we drove uh, from South Carolina to, to Delaware State, you know, for the cross country championships. 
And I mean, we, we drove up and, you know, we drove back, you know, after the meet. So, you know, like I said, we, it was a, we get things done here type mm. situation. And I had, I cut the, the, the cross country uh, course. I wanted them to have their first cross home cross country meet. I cut it with a push mower. Five miles. Hold on. This seems like one of those um, fables, uh, you know, you're not old enough to be like, you know, your PR is like, you know, gold medal standard now, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, hold on. I'm going to make sure maybe my headphones aren't working. Well, it sounded like you said you did a five mile cross country course with a push mark. Are you talking about like the old school? Like, that's right. You, you, you can't, that's physically impossible. Yeah. Tim, Tim, someone's gonna call. Someone's gonna hit me up on Twitter or call me and say, "Hey, that Tim, he's BSing. This is not true. <laughs> I, I was there. It was a riding lawnmower. It, for real, you did this with a push lawnmower. It was a push. I can text you the picture if you want it. <laughs> oh no, no, you have to. Yes, 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 yes. Because I, I, again, people right now are listening, going, "This. It, I don't care if he says it's true. It's not. Text me the picture. I'm gonna use when we publish. When you're listening to this, you'll go to my Twitter at Mike Cunningham, and this picture will be there because. First of all, that's just physically phenomenal. Uh, but secondly, like leadership phenomenal, like for to do that for your kids, like again, that no excuses like, oh, you know, you know why I can't cut a cross country course because we don't have a, access to a riding lawnmower or whatnot. And you're like, I don't care. Here's what I got. Oh, man. You see, yes. <laughs> that's how high the grass was. <laughs> Yeah, the next thing I was waiting for is to be like golf course grass as well. I'm like, okay, oh, no, you walk no. five miles. Yeah. <laughs> so again, here here creeps up this, you know, I'm not gonna fail. I'm not a failure. Right. Uh, I'm gonna lead young men and women, and this is what they need and deserve at South Carolina State at the time. They deserve and need their own home cross country meet so they can run a meet at home. That's right. That's yeah. right. And I, I I located the the, the location probably a year before and I called the city it was a it was like a business research park that was underdeveloped I called them and I asked them for permission to to run the the meet there and they told me sure yeah okay yeah you can use it just provide insurance you know xyz all of the 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 hoops you got to jump through and I said great immediately put out we're, we're going to have a, a home meet so then i went to the grounds crew i said hey i need you guys to uh i got a course and i drove it off in my in my truck you know so i made sure i had the mileage right and i ran through it you know to make sure i had tire tracks down i said i've already run through it and you know you can see the tire tracks you can see where where i want to cut and they said oh we don't go off campus i said okay well you know i, I can i can get a trail and i can just hook up the lawnmower and i can I can, you know, just take the lawnmower over. No, we, we don't lend out our lawnmowers. And I had that, okay, I put my foot in my mouth here. I've already promised people that we're having a meet, you know. I need you to help me because I have stepped in it already. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so I, it started off, I had the idea, well, I will cut the start line and then the solution will come to me and I'll figure it out. And I cut the start line and the solution didn't come. So I cut a little more and my mind drew a blank and I cut a little more. And then it turned to, I'm not going to fail again. And then it turned to nobody will help me and more anger and determination. And then it turned into, 
um, a little depressed. I, I teared up when I couldn't see the road and nobody could see me. I said, I could get mauled by a bear. You're right in the middle now. of nowhere. Yeah. With a push lawnmower to protect yourself. <laughs> you're basically effective against a blade of grass, my friend. Any a squirrel could have attacked you. And you're like, right, I'm dead. Now I got a push lawnmower. Yeah. And we got it connected. And I, my athletic director at the time, I, and I, I just walked, I said, you got to come see this. You got to come see this. And it was why it was NCAA championship regulation. It was wide enough. He drove his his Cadillac Escalade through the entire course. And after he finished, he looked at me, he just said, you're crazy. <laughs> I think a lot of us are saying that right now, Tim, honestly, just to put that out there, I think. <laughs> and, you know, so, but it meant, it meant enough to me that, like I said, A, we've already said, this is what we're going to do. B, the, the kids in that program had never had a home contest. And I know it, we've had home track and field events, but they'd never had home cross country. And cross country matters. You know, and I wanted to show them that, hey, it, it, it does matter. And this is something we can pull off. Yeah, so, I was going to add that. I was like, let's not let it be lost here. Here's a sprints, jumps, hurdle, you know, the speed and power events who is doing something i don't know many other uh sprints and uh, uh jumps coaches who are going to do this for cross country they're like yeah look man we'll hold a ten thousand at the track i guess but uh, <laughs> i ain't cutting grass with a push on more uh tim what is you know and i have a very specific answer here for you what is as you look about your time at south carolina state what is your greatest memory during that time Ooh. it it really was seeing Tyrell Richard win the national championship. And the reason why, you know, I can say in terms of, of Tyrell and maybe not Demeek, because Demeek, you know, that sticks with me just the same, but it was an NCAA event for Tyrell, which means it brings back notoriety to the school as well. You know, and you can say, hey, this is, you know, the highest finish we've ever had in in however many years on a Division One level. But, you know, to see and it, you can go back and watch watch the clip, just, you know, research Tyrell Richard 400 meters indoors. And even then they're talking about other people in the race. I remember that. And then all of a sudden, I, if you can find the prelim. The cameraman, he won his prelim and they didn't even focus on him coming across the line. I forgot. That's right. <laughs> they panned back to, it may have been like a uh, Lobo uh, Vidal from Florida and they, they just let him go. And then they watched the, the rest of the race. And I'm like, that's okay. It, 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 it again comes back to me. Hey, they'll know our name. Relax. We got this. Do what you came here to do. Well, I remember I, I was at that meet, uh, but I'm afraid that was not the answer I was looking for, Tim. Okay. <laughs> your, your greatest memory from South Carolina State should be is that's where you and I relationship, our friendship became. That's, <laughs> that's, where, I, right. that's where I really got to know you. I'm really disappointed that of all the amazing things that you accomplished your time there, that that one didn't bubble up. I was really like, man, I... I don't know, Tim. We got to we got to consider some things here. I thought we were a little closer. Uh, but all jokes aside, uh, an amazing job, and that is I, I, I'm 
very proud that is where you and I really started to get to know each other and, and establish a, a friendship. And, yeah. uh, and always, and I remember, you know, it was early before the 60 meter kid really came on scene. I was like, Hey man, I was like, people are paying attention. I didn't, I didn't know, know about your high point. And uh, I knew, but I think I knew Charleston Southern because I think I was like, Oh, I knew you came from Charleston. Southern. But I was like, Hey man, people are paying attention. You're doing a great job, man. Keep it up. Uh, you know, you're, and I, and I, I think after, and this doesn't sound all that like, um, not proficient, this is uh, prescient, I think is the word. It doesn't sound all too great when I say this, because I think it was after or during the 400 meter. I think it might've been even before the prelim somewhere. I just said, hey man, you do know you're not going to be at South Carolina State for very long. And you're like, what do you mean? You're like, you're, like, you're like, I love it here. I was like, yeah, I know that. Um, and I'm not saying anything about South Carolina State. I was like, but you're, you're just on a different level. You deserve to be on a different level. And it's going to happen soon. And, and I remember you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, th thanks, Mike. That's so nice. You know, it's it's like, yeah, I'm sure you told everybody that my, you know, that kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, man. I was like, this does something. I remember coming back, you know, the, uh, from the meeting. You know, everybody asked, hey, how's the meeting? Everything. I was like, that was really good, man. I was like, hey, man, I, I told, you know, not everybody knows every coach here, but you know, that's my job to know every coach. And I was like, yeah, man, there's this guy at South Carolina State. I was like, this kid won. I was like, but it's just, it's just different. There's just a, there's a different way of thinking, acting, and, and being, I think that, uh, that I saw you, you know, I say early, not that, you know, again, it's hard to say it's like, yeah, you had the 400 meter champ, Mike, but you know, you really you know, pulled that one out of the hat. Right. Um, but really that was the right answer, Tim, is that you and I met uh, right. during that time there. So, Hey, let's, uh, as we move into wrap up mode here for, for our time considerations today, uh, you go from, I called it, you go from South Carolina state to the university of Oklahoma and, uh, very quickly became the interim head coach. And then very quickly became the head coach. They were smart enough to remove that tag interim. <laughs> um, I'm always, it's always curious to me when they name an interim coach, I'm like, Oh, so you think he's good enough to hold the bandaid together? Cause you know, transition of coaches is never, easy right isn't i mean isn't that the kind of leader you want if you believe in him for that don't isn't that the kind of leader you want for your program like it's it's just always weird to me right uh, i'd almost like to let them like not, don't even have a head coach then just figure out who you're gonna have as next head coach i mean you got an interim that's your guy come on now right. so uh talk to us about i mean you're kind of um you know kind of broad swath stereotype here you're living the dream you went from air quotes here, small school. I don't really like that term uh, to the power five. There are, I mean, I'm sure I could uh, put out a tweet and say, Hey, how many of you want to work on the power five? And I'd get a lot of responses. Um, it's a dream for a lot of people, by the way, hand in the air. That was me. My whole career was to get to the SEC because I was from the South uh, and got there and loved it. And, you know, cherished my time as a Mississippi state bulldog coach there. I'm so old now, Tim, that, you know, one of my former athletes is now the head coach there. So I, Oh, <laughs> yeah. All, all that is, is I'm old. That's he's a very young head coach though. So I, I tell right. myself that to, to feel, to feel a little better, but, um, uh, shout out to Chris Woods, man. I love you. And I know you listen every once in a while here. So, um, talk to us about that transition. It's, uh, haven't done it myself. I know it's not easy. It's, uh, it's not the, um, you're not automatically in uh, Disney world. Like everything's just handed to you and you're automatically, you just win because you're at Oklahoma because you're a sooner. You just automatically win. It's hard work um, for a guy, your style. I imagine it uh, and you're, you're going to correct me here. Uh, maybe a little hard for you. And what I mean by that is you are so good at developing underdeveloped talent. And you mentioned you're only as good as your freshman. So you don't have a lot of time to go find 
the underdeveloped kids. You've got to find some kids that are already have some development. And then here's the key. Most people think we have it so easy in the power five. You got to go out and get 10, 10 kids and make them run 10 flat. That's not easy. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is that is I, I equivalent that is the same kind of hardness as taking an 11 one kid to 10 five that is also hard don't i don't poo poo on that is also extremely hard did an amazing job as a coach if you take a 10 20 10 10 kid and make them 10 flat you have done and that is extremely hard and you have to by the way 10 10 10 20 kid don't score in the sec uh rarely will score in the big 12 so it's Right. Get these great kids and you got to make them greater. How right. was the transition for you personally and coaching wise professionally? Oh, it, it, it took courage because, you know, I'm a head coach for now 16 years at South Carolina State to, to give it up to become an assistant at the University of Oklahoma. And, you know, my wife worked for the federal government. So I packed everything I had in a truck and pointed it away from my family, away from everything I ever knew, uh, to go, I mean, all my family's on the East Coast. And hey, again, it's it's that transition from high school to college all over again. And I had somebody else say, no, nope, that ain't gonna work, he'll be back. And again, I kissed my wife and said, hey, I don't plan on failing. You know, I didn't come all the way out here to fail. And you know, the, the, the transition, the, the biggest group that that wanted my head coach interim position to be permanent that stood up and voiced it, the cross-country team. Get out. Yep. Dude, I, you, I, you are from the get-go at Radford. You are a cross-country guy at heart. You missed your calling. I know you were a great athlete, but now something tells me you could have been like a 13 flat 5K guy or something. Like you missed your real calling. You are a cross-country distance guy. Holy cow. It was amazing, um, you know, so we, they, Jim was having trouble getting a cross-country coach in, so I was the interim cross-country coach um, during that time, and, you know, we got our, got our uh, coach in, and then he decided that, he, he said, hey, I, I think I want to step away and do some other things in life, and that's when I got the, the, the interim position. And we got the staff on board and, you know, some of the stuff is, is just mainly stabilizing the staff hmm. because even on a power five level on every level, Hey, if you have somebody good, everybody else wants who's good. And, you know, you talk about, you know, turning an 11 uh, flat person to 10, five. And then you, especially what you said about, you know, getting the, 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 the 10, 20 or the 10, one down to 10 flat there how many hundreds of 11 flat people there's a very very finite number of people that run 10 under 10 2 coming out of high school that you can take down and 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 make that whether it's international or or uh high school wise you know so yeah the world becomes your playground your your recruiting service and you know you've got to find them you know you have to find the next people that should be in the olympics while also you know, making sure you you show everyone else love that may not be the immediate point scores. Somebody you have to say no to. You know, one of the things that smacked me in the head, I mean, directly on within two weeks. So I go from Ball State University to Mississippi State. 
And I'm so excited because I'm like, oh man, you know, everybody, every recruit that I call, I don't have to tell them where Mississippi State, they'll know because of football and, you know, Ball State, they had no clue where I was. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, oh, recruiting, now, you know, recruiting was kind of my thing. I really, you know, enjoyed it and did it at a high level. And I was like, oh man, recruiting is going to be so much easier. And <laughs> one of the, yeah, you're, you're laughing, you know where the story is going. Yeah. And one of the first recruits um, was from Newburgh Academy. He was uh, LZ Coleman. He set the indoor 400 meter national record. And, uh, you know, I call him and sure enough, he knew at least where Mississippi was and knew that Mississippi state was SEC and whatnot. And, uh, we started having a pretty good rapport. And I was like, so LZ, I was like, what's your top five? Like what schools are you you thinking about? You know, like, so basically sussing out who's my competition here. Right. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, Florida, USC, Baylor, um, I think it was Texas and probably LSU. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I now have to compete against mouse in Gainesville. I have to compete against Dennis at Baton Rouge. I have to compete against LA and um, uh, USC. Like, Oh, this didn't get easier. This got harder. Holy. Like it smacked me in the head. Like, ah, crap. I do have an opportunity to recruit and coach these kids, but it ain't, they ain't just coming. Like you got to fight for them and other people, by the way. And like the one that really hit me was that, you know, he said Florida. Cause I was like, Oh man, mouse is a mentor. Like I, like I asked Mouse how to coach, you know, that was my, you know, when I first started coaching high school, I was like, Hey, how do you do it? Uh, and that was always a guy like, Oh man, I'm gonna listen to that guy. And now it's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta beat him in Gainesville, by the way, to Starkville. I mean, it was not a fair fight. I always like, when I tell that story, I always like to remind people we did sign him by the way. Uh, so we did win that one, but uh, <laughs> uh, what, what uh, so far, you know, you're still early in your power five Oklahoma uh, career here. It's going to last for a long time, but you're, you're at the infancy age here. What so far has smacked you in the head? What's humbled you of like, Oh man, uh, not necessarily that you didn't see coming, but like, Oh yeah, this, you know what? Everybody thinks we, eat gold here. Guess what? Uh, here's our struggle. It popped me in my face. I didn't realize I was going to have to, uh, that this would be so hard. What, what was that for you so far? Absolutely. Um, and just looking at results from our conference, um, I had, I had four guys in the 100 that at the conference meet last year, the fourth guy was 1024 and he didn't make the final. And you, you look at, I had the top qualifier in the 200 at, at 2038. He was a freshman. Um, and in the finals, 2038 got last. Yeah. Yeah. 1972, 1981, 20 flat. My kid got fourth at 2004. And then my other kid got fifth at 20.10. That's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. There are a limited amount of points and you're not the only one that wants them. Ooh, that's yes. There is a limited amount of point. Those are very finite. Uh, but what is not finite is everybody wants them. Yes. That's a really good way. And that happens on all levels. That's, you know, a D2 conference in Ohio, an NIA conference in Missouri. There are the finite points. Everybody, that's where you have to step your game up continually, right. continually. Right, right, right. And then the landscape of, of, college athletics is changing as I'm getting used to this level, throw in NIL, hmm. throw in the, the, the transfer portal changes and, and more changes that are coming to it as well. It, you know, it's, and then manage more people because the more people you have, the more communication you have to have, the more you have to make sure 
you're managing it the right way to empower your coaches so they can empower the team. You know, where you where I went from mid-major, just me, it's all on me to get it done. It's all on me to get it done. Now we're we're in the in the mode of be the best delegator, the best empower, enabler of success that you can be and keep everybody in the loop. That that was that's the the bigger challenge, you know, as you get to this level, managing more people, you have to manage more people. Yeah, I like that. Uh, okay, Tim, last question, and we're, we'll wrap up here today. Uh, speaking of changes and ever continually changing, it's pretty, uh, I think everybody knows, it's no secret here, uh, Oklahoma and your friends down in Austin are coming over to the SEC. That's that's my hometown country, man. That's It, it means more in the SEC, and I don't care who wants to argue about that. It is true. It means more in the SEC. Uh, are you excited, nervous, scared? You can be open and honest here. How, how are you thinking about that transition into the SEC for your program? Excited because of A, the level of play. B, everybody that is of an elite mindset, future Olympians, they want to be in the SEC. They see the SEC as, as one of the top conference, if not the top conference. It's okay um, to say that is the top conference. Yes. Right. Right. You know, and, I, I am one of those, by the way, you know, they talk about SEC homers. That is me. I think uh, in the tiddlywinks, I'm like, oh yeah, the SEC is best in tiddlywinks. Oh yeah. 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 It don't matter right. what sport activity. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah the SEC. We are the best. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's right. You know, the, just the, the new league brings uh, new funding in terms of revenue sharing which is going to benefit, you know, what we do on a, on a major level. Um, if we need to, if we need to provide more resources for our, for our kids, they, uh, in terms of facilities, in terms of services we provide, it, it's going to widen the gap in what we provide and what everyone else can provide. So it, it, it's, I'm, I'm excited. Is, is it more work? Absolutely. But I've also held the philosophy of, I want to be the best in the nation, you know, whether I was in the SEC or when I was at, Charleston Southern or High Point. And if they exist in the nation, then I've already been going against them mentally. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, I told another coach at one of the, I'm narrowing this down a little bit too much at one of those two institutions that are coming to the SEC. And I was like, you know, uh, I was in the SEC before Missouri and AM, and it's a bloodbath. I mean, it just, it, it almost to the point where it wasn't fun because our goals were for the NCAA. So it was another just killer round of things to do and then go to regionals and then nationals. And, you know, after I left Mizzou and Texas A&M came in, I was like, oh man, it just got worse. It took the number of walk-ons that you could even think about. You, you talk about again, you know, uh, market value, what can a freshman do right off the bat? Well, it, it was harder for a freshman to do something right off the bat. And now I told this other coach, I'm like, now you guys, Oklahoma and Texas, you guys are going into this thing. It, it, like I would just skip it. I'd be like, look, we're just going to get last in SEC. We're, now we'll go win at NCAAs because of that. But I was like, it's just not going to be fun, man. It's just it's ridiculous. You, you mentioned 1024 was your fourth kid. Uh, yeah, that's going to be like 100th in the SEC. Right. But, but here's what's cool. And I don't mean that. And I'm not demeaning that kid. No, I'm, no, not, no. I'm not demeaning you as the coach. It's like, you know, what's awesome is because 1024 will be the hundredth mark. Well, that type of kid and this type of coach will say, okay, well, then that's not good enough. How do we become 1014, 1004, 994, whatever? It raises the game. It's kind of like that 48th mark for regionals. Right. When that first mark came out, it's, you know, go back and look at what 48th was when regionals first came out. It, it's a song and a dance nowadays. Now to get 48, that's tough. It's because there became a marker to 
to reach for 48. So that marker kept getting faster and faster and higher and higher and farther and farther. And that's what the thing's going to do with SEC. Uh, the bad part is there are still only going to be eight spots that'll give, get points in the SEC. There'll still be a very finite points and everybody will be after those points. So Tim, man, thank you so much for today. We are Really excited, man. I mean, not 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 only because you're going to the SEC, and again, that's just my personal because I'm an SEC homer, but we're excited to see your leadership as a Sooner and what the program will continue to rise. You know, it, it, it's it's a, a slow moving process to turn one of those big old freighters out there in the ocean, right? Well, a, a Power Five program and, and a program fire that. Program five program that has as much history as Oklahoma is one of those big freighters. So you don't just change culture. You don't just change uh, success overnight. It's slow moving increments. So knowing how you know young you are here in this uh, in your time at Oklahoma, year three is going to build, year four, year five, it's just going to continue to grow, continue to move uh, in your direction with your fingerprint on it. And I, I figure you're going to find somehow some way to do this. Uh, um, how I how I can uh, help an athlete, how I can you know spot that. I think you're going to find a way, a unique way to do that in this next level as well. And that's a, that's a, that's a harder thing. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. You know, I love mouse. So this is not a slam on mouse. Anybody can go tell him he can get mad at me. He won't though, but mouse ain't taking 51 second quarter milers out of high school. Right. He, he may have one every once in a while. I'm not, you know, I'm sure, you know, he's a genius, right. but he's not taking them and making them 45s. It's, it's hard. You don't have time, etc. cetera. Uh, now he's taking 46s and making them 44s, but <laughs> right. uh, yeah, mouse. Uh, but it's it's going to be, uh, I think you're going to find your own unique fingerprint as you continue to develop your program there. And we're really just excited just to, to watch from the from the sidelines and and see you grow and your, your program grow there at Oklahoma. Hey, thanks. It's a pleasure to serve. I mean, I'm in a unique position and, you know, it's, it's a blessing to have the opportunity and, and to share some time with you. And like I said, if, if it helps somebody else, Anything I've said, then I've done my job. I love it, man. You are uh, at the heart. You are Coach Knight. You are a servant leader, my friend. You are. You, you got into this to emulate and continue his fingerprint uh, on this sport specifically. And dude, you're doing it. You you are what. And this is what I love about coaching track and field because it doesn't matter if you coach two kids or two hundred kids, because those kids go on to be doctors, mothers, brothers, fathers, track coaches. Their their legacy is exponential. It multiplies. You are, you are on the shoulders of other great men like coach, uh, coach Knight there, uh, that continues growing. You've coached kids that have gone into coaching that'll co coach other kids. You, your impact is millions, just like coach Knight's is, is millions. Uh, it's that positive impact you make on, you know, make on young people on a daily basis. That's what matters, whether that's again, two kids, 200 kids, uh, and you're just doing an excellent job. And we're so proud that you would join us here today on the Gill Connections podcast, my friend. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. Oh man, it's our blessing. Thank you for being here today. Again, you know, we are in the middle of a, just a, I don't know how it gets any better with this month. We've just had some fire guests and, but we do, we've got uh, even more coaches coming up uh, that I think you'll enjoy as we continue our legacy, uh, our goal here of uplifting and honor coaches around the country. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next week. Thanks.